Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Are investors too complacent? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Ben Miller, co-founder and CEO of Fundrise. Hi, Ben. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is so. This is your first time on Real Vision. We're thrilled to have you on. So, why don't you, before we jump into today's action, just give us a little overview of Fundrise. What do you concentrate on there? So, we're a real estate and technology investment platform. We started in 2012. Basically, I, I have about 25 years of investment experience. I bought about $10 billion of real estate in my career. So um, have some experience in this. And I basically felt like the 2008 financial crisis had undermined my confidence in the financial system. And so we created a new model where individuals could invest directly into real estate or private technology companies and not have to have a lot of the kind of like noise you see or or fees in the traditional financial system. So it's, I guess it's kind of a similar ethos as crypto, but instead mm-hmm. of investing in like a digital asset, you're investing in a real asset. Awesome. So it'll be really interesting to hear your thoughts given this environment. I feel like both of those topics, both technology and um, and real estate are really top of mind for a lot of people, given the fact that we're trying to figure out what's happening with the economy and interest rates. And if we, it's it's been interesting today's action because we, we see stocks in rally mode again. Yesterday, things fell off, a little concerned about the BOJ. And that BOJ actually did something. They actually tweaked yield curve control. But this time around, everyone seems to be focused on, you know, the data and numbers coming out. I mean, we have the NASDAQ up almost 2%. Um, so I want to unpack a little bit of that. But, but just generally, it seems to be feeding into this, you know, the numbers out this week, the earnings, the econ numbers seem to be feeding into this soft landing narrative. And we've been seeing this play out all week and our guests have been sort of pointing it out and talking about it. So let's have a listen to some of the highlights and then we'll talk on the other side. Normally we see Fed raising rates and fiscal policy getting tighter. And that's why you usually get a slowdown pretty soon after that. Whereas in this case, we haven't gotten that. We've had fiscal policy kind of offsetting monetary policy. And I think the fact we've had the Infrastructure Act, the CHIPS Act, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, all coming after all the stimulus that came from COVID has been given sort of a longer chain of fiscal stimulus that's kind of working its way through the system over time and affecting more of the industrial side of the economy. You know, people are building factories and doing new things they didn't do uh, before because of fiscal policy. 
And so it's less about you know tax cuts and things like that or cash for clunkers or things like they did after the 2008, 2009. This is a much more broad-based and industrially focused uh, kind of fiscal policy. And it's having knock-on effects in the private sector, I think, which has been kind of underestimated so far because it's just been so long since we've ever really seen that in this country. I honestly think that the probability has, has risen uh, for such a scenario over the course of the past two, two or three months here. Uh, and that is probably also why the Fed is starting to acknowledge this scenario to a larger extent and started to sound more upbeat on the actual possibility of, of creating a soft landing. It is not the standard scenario to expect given what we see in the yield curve right now, but you shouldn't rule it out. From the perspective of the very leading indicators, the leading edge, the vanguard of inflation statistics, it's likely that we have gotten back to 2%. The reality is, however, if we don't go into a recession and the labor market continues to, you know, remove, you know, slack, you know, by obviously hiring more and more people and, you know, that, that that's the nature of this, this business cycle process, eventually, those numbers that are, you know, 1.4 or something, you know, a little bit higher for PCE, those numbers are going to prove to be unsustainable. And we're going to start to tax the economy and, and really, you know, drain slack and, and, and really tax the supply base of the economy again. And that could be a 2024 story if we do, in fact, have a soft landing. Now, again, I, I've been on record here. I don't think a soft landing is the highest probability outcome, but I do think it's a higher probability than a near-term recession. I follow the, uh, you know, the year-to-date horse race and where were energy stocks before I went on vacation and sort of the weeks prior to that, they were down 10%, 15%, sometimes 20%. Where are they now? They're bubbling back towards unchanged and they're down one or 2% on the year. Does it seem like that sector could be up 10% on the year at a certain point? If oil rallies just a little bit, yeah, it sure can. There's nobody in it. We saw everybody take all of their money out of these stocks. So I feel like there are tumbleweeds blowing through this trade. And when I see that, I mean, that, that's the time to get, you know, to get the weapons out and start firing. So I just want to be clear on one thing on time frame, which uh, our viewers will know we talk about all the time, both Andreas and Darius are talking in the very near term, um, which is important from maybe their medium term outlook. But, you know, Ben, we did see that the that more evidence of that today, right? This is why I think the probabilities for some people are going up, at least in the short term, for that soft landing, the PCE, that inflation reading that the Fed tracks closely out this morning showed a modest monthly increase and the annual level, now the lowest in two years, still above the Fed target, but lowest in two years. And we had strong earnings, Procter & Gamble and Intel. So we keep getting all of this information that seems to be bolstering this idea that we're in this really sweet spot. How are you thinking about all of this? So my perspective is different for two main reasons. So we have you know millions of individual customers you know, our Fundrise basically is a platform for individuals. And so I'm, I'm focused on people, not trading, not, not um, a lot of the things that you see essentially on Squawk Box. Mm -hmm. And then also we invest in the real economy. So we have tens of thousands of residential units. We build housing. We invest in building companies. And so as a result, I'm mostly focused on two things, right? Protecting on the downside and on uh, what it takes to build things in real life. And so it, it takes a long time to build things. And so as a result, I have a longer horizon. And I look out two, three years, and I look back 50 or 100 years, and it's, it seemed really clear to me that this is a giant bear trap. Why so? Why? Okay, well, so 
when I try to understand the future, I always look to the past. And if you look at the past, everything now seems different. It seems uh, unusual or unique, but actually it's most things are, are in history. You can go back thousands of years, they repeat over and over again. And so here we are and the recession that's coming is almost at this point, like destiny because when the fed raises rates the way they've had the way they have had to in the last now now 12 months um it almost always leads to a recession and and there's just basic reasons why it when you have cost of interest now for real estate it is often eight nine ten percent and would have been two three percent maybe four percent only 18 months ago if you're a business if you're a consumer all of that higher cost is leading to a slowdown, but the slowdown takes a long time to work its way through a the real economy, through a business. Like I, I we have 300 people at the company. We have all these, uh, um, you know, projects we invest across the country. And that delay, I think, is really confusing everybody because we live in a world of information technology where everything's instantaneous. Mm. But every single time, if you look back, this type of dynamic leads to a recession. So that's a, that's an interesting point. We we're sort of immediate gratification society, and so, but things have felt compressed, right? So we we have recently. It feels like uh, that things got really bad really quickly, and then there was extraordinary measures, and then things got better really quickly, and so there's an expectation that you're going to see the impact more quickly. So you think this is tracking, how does this measure up? Is this tracking in a traditional manner in the way monetary policy takes a while to factor in? Is it taking longer because of some of what we went through with COVID and supply chains? Why does it seem like that we're not seeing the impact from monetary policy? Yeah. So that's it's a perception of a reality. So if you go back and look at the data, which I did, and I could, you could even pull some of it up, Brian. Like I think slide five is the last uh, seven recessions. <laughs> yeah, that one. So, so basically, you look at this. Every major recession, you know, 2008 financial crisis, 2000, um, 2000 89, 1980, all of them were were preceded by major interest rate hiking, but those hiking always took a lag before it hit the economy. So you're talking about an on average, a 10 month lag, 10 months from peak interest rates. So like go back to 2008, peak interest rates hit July, 2006. And we didn't have a, the you know financial crisis for basically 24 more months, almost two years later. Mm -hmm. And so that's basically what happens every single time. So we maybe we hit peak interest rates this Wednesday, or maybe we have another hike or two. And then from that point, you should expect a good number of months, on average 10 months, before you actually have a recession. So that would be late 2024, maybe early 2025. So you're, you're still a ways off from actually having a recession. And then when a recession hits, they're so consequential that they make all this trading we're seeing day to day today look trivial. So if you go, 
I have another slide I want to show, but mm -hmm. basically this is what is in the data and is so clear. And I think I see it in the real life too. I can give you examples that we're seeing day to day, but the, the recession comes out of, it's a consequence of high interest rates, just like night follows day. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So what is the other, uh, what, what other chart do you want to show us? Because I think that will be. Yeah, slide three, I think is a good one. Because I think it's like, uh, you know, why am I so focused on this? Because everybody's looking at it day to day, week to week. That one exactly. So here are the here are four recessions. Each one of these had interest rate hikes. And when the stock market fell, it gave up most of the returns you'd previously seen for the last five, 10, almost 15 years. Mm. Right? The 2008 financial crisis gave up 14 years of returns in the S&P 500 when it finally fell. Same thing with the year 2000, same thing with, you know, 1989, 1974. You basically, if you're, an, if you're a fundamental investor, not a day trader, this is not for day traders, they maybe they've gotten out, but most people are, are longer term fundamental investors. And so if, if you're pouring into the stock market shortly before one of these downturns, I mean, it's so consequential. It just makes any of the sort of hype you're seeing in the short term look like a bear trap. Yeah. So, and, and that makes a lot of sense. We've, for, for our regular viewers, we've talked to Ms. Schneider about the danger of those drawdowns, like how difficult it can be to come out of. Um, so you make a really important distinction, I think, Ben, which is understanding your time horizon, right? So some people um, who are listening and also some of the guests we've had on do have to pay attention to short term. They are, they are interested in the short term. And so what we've been hearing is that it's just so hard to fight the rally we've seen and so hard to stand in the way of, in particular, the tech rally. Um, anybody who's tried to, well, people certainly on the sideline have missed it. Anybody who, heaven forbid, has tried to short it has had their face handed to them. So it's just been really powerful. How long do you think those go on? I mean, if it's a bear trap, can it, and, and the recession's not coming until late 24, that's a long time from now. Can it continue yeah, I mean, to grind higher or does it start to backfill and, and sort of get rangy as people try to sniff out maybe something's wrong? I think that's impossible to know. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the, it's, it's the path, you know, the path to, to you know, the, the final downturn is, is driven by so many short-term um, drivers like you, you might see um, more AI technology come out and drive more excitement. Uh, it's it's very emotional. It's not driven by a lot of the fundamentals, I believe. And it's 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 because I I'm in the real economy. You know, we're building thousands of homes. We 
have industrial properties. We have companies we're funding. We're building our own company. And in those contexts, the decisions you're making, you have to be thinking about it in a multi-year you know, scenario. Mm. Right? Multi-year, am I going to build this factory? Multi-year, am I going to basically hire 100 people or not? And, and in that context, there's no way with these, this cost of interest that you do those types of investments now. And, and I'm seeing it day to day. You know, we have, uh, I'll give you an example. We have industrial property in Phoenix, and we had a tenant lined up, big e-commerce shoe company, huge. You would know who they are. They've been working on it with us for months. And the last minute, their board said, well, we better, we better just slow down and stop and take a pause and just sort of wait and see what happens. And that kind of CapEx investment is a kind of CapEx investment that's basically slowly stopping you know, mm-hmm. growth. Um, I'm out there. I've talked to all the major banks. We have billions of dollars of, of financing from basically every major bank you could name. And they're all frozen. I mean, you can't raise equity or debt for most projects today. Um, the cost of, the cost of uh, digital marketing. We have, we spend, last year we spent, tens of millions of dollars in digital marketing. You know, we have an entire team of 25 people. All they do is buy Google ads and Facebook ads. And so we have a really good sense of what's happening in the economy because the, the advertising spend is a good reflection of, of, of um, real economy. And the cost of click, the cost of, of, of actually that advertising has fallen 50%. Wow. So there's just so many. So I, I, I don't know about the stock market. That's doesn't make any sense to me. And that's not what I do. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, this stuff is what matters. Right. When you, when you have that longer time horizon. Um, so are you, uh, one of our viewers is asking, is a cash position the best strategy moving forward? I'm going to tweak that because I think you're asking um, Neil Fight from, from an investment point of view. But Ben, just from a purchasing point of view, from, a bi- from running a business point of view, are you very concerned about holding on to cash and having dry powder because of the recession you see coming? I mean, so I'm, I have to do a little nuance, but yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with a 5% CD. <laughs> you know, 5% yeah. treasury, it's hard to beat that. And I, I don't think that you know anybody who's having concerns would regret that kind of uh, of investment. And I think a lot of companies are sitting a lot of cash who are also making you know similar calculus decisions. So that's when in doubt, I I, I believe when in doubt, don't. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I know I know that for parts of the economy, and this is where I have an exception, parts of the economy like AI, um, there are sort of generational things happening. And you and you know, we we invest in those types of companies too. And so that's so you'd say yes, that's true broadly, but with some exceptions, and maybe those exceptions are are they're, they're situational. You have to really know what you're talking about in the weeds of those decisions. Right. Uh, Roger is saying uh, timing looks so easy in charts, but it's really hard in real time. You are right, Roger. It is, and it's what that's why we put that highlight clip of all the guests talking this week, because I think they're all touching on that. You know, you have to be nimble, and even the best of them are going and looking against the frameworks they use and and revising it. And and that short-term part of it has become really tricky because you have this dynamic. Um, If you're fixated on a longer-term view, like you are, Ben, a little bit different, 
Um, I want to ask about, so, so you see, so the, the fact that you're in commercial real estate, super interesting. You are definitely seeing signs of slowing in the real economy in terms of purchasing decisions. What's the state of the commercial real estate market right now? I mean, I don't know what part of it you're in, but we, we, we were so worried about that and the impact of higher rates hitting and the, you know, bank situation, the credit uh, tightness it, because of what happened with regional banks. And it feels like that's kind of gone to the back burner. Where are we with commercial real estate, the state of commercial real estate? Yeah. So I, I cover a lot and you know, luckily we don't invest in office. We never really had much exposure office. <laughs> you can say we were smart and lucky. I'll say we we're lucky. So um, that's a really good illustration of like the destiny of something. And in the short term, there's uncertainty. The office industry will go through a major downturn. There's no question about it. It's already happening behind the scenes. Uh, I don't know if it's 20% of office gets foreclosed or 50%, but it's something huge, just absolutely catastrophic. It'll cost hundreds of billions of dollars. And, and you know, the negative of that is that, you know, there's a lot of equity wiped out. A lot of lenders are going to see huge impairments and, um, and downtown cities are going to suffer. Those are for, those are, but the, the gift of it is that there will be a rebirth and, um, you know, a lot of downtown offices will, will eventually end up much more vibrant, but it's going to take 10, 15 years. I mean, this is going back, this all happened before to downtown real estate in the seventies and eighties. And there was a huge downturn and, you know, most of those downtowns really, I mean, there was crime and, and derelict buildings and, you know, what it came out of that, you know, New York had the art scene in Soho, people were, could, could live in, in Soho for hundred dollars a month. And, and now it's 5,000, $10,000 a month. So that, so this, this cycle, this is what I focus on, but I think there's, there's, this is how most fortunes are made by focusing on the real economy. That's what, that's what I've found in my experience. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. you don't invest in commercial real estate, what part, uh, sorry, office space, I should say, in the commercial real estate area, what do you concentrate on? I mean, what, where have you, and what do you feel bullish about there? If it's office spaces hurt, we have uh, Christopher asking about digital realty trust. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with that, but it looks mm -hmm. like they do data centers. So what, what do you see working in commercial real estate? Yeah, I mean, so commercial real estate or or real estate is a it's a levered play on GDP, mm -hmm. and the asset classes that have been growing have been residential, especially in the Sun Belt, and we own twenty thousand residential units in the Sun Belt, industrial, and industrial is basically both of those those plays. And then we, we don't own data centers, but if you look at all three of those plays, what's underneath of those drivers, you know, it's technology. 
industrial has been going gangbusters because of e-commerce and the growth in the Sunbelt has been amplified by work from home and digital reality trust I mean, or, or data center, obviously a technology play. So it's, it, that's why you look at the big trends, the, the big things matter more than the small things, if you're, at least if you're operating at scale. And so when I look at um, data centers, I mean, the, the, the amount of compute that we're going to need to basically build the sort of next generation AI applications are going to, it's going to be vast. I mean, basically electricity will become like the scarce resource and, um, you know, playing that trend, whether you're doing it by investing directly in the tech or into the real estate underneath of it, or some other part of it, I think is, it's the exception, as I'm saying, there's going to be a recession, but I think AI is a generational change. So when Sam, our guest on Monday brought up, and it was the first clip we, uh, first person we played in the highlight clip we ran was talking about the infrastructure, the infrastructure spending that's already been committed and is starting to, with the same thing, a lag, but make its way into the economy. And his feeling was that was underappreciated. Does that offset some of the other issues coming from higher rates and the hit to the economy that you think hasn't been felt yet? Can those things offset each other? Yes and no. So yeah, we see that also. We own industrial and um, you know some of our super large properties that have half a million square feet. You know, we've had saw TSMC and ASML and those type of these 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 critical companies come to us to lease the buildings because they're here. All of their vendors are here, and they're basically driving the Phoenix economy. I think the Phoenix economy, which is typically a boom bust economy, has this singular eighty billion dollar investment from Intel and TSMC and ASM, ASML and, and other companies that are going to transform that basin into a, a basically our um, silicon manufacturing, uh, you know, center of America. So. So where you so the reason why I say yes and no is that there's going to be winners and losers in this recession, and I think that this sort of onshoring or changing supply chains definitely going to have benefits to workers, benefits to certain sectors, benefits to certain regions are going to do well, and there's going to be parts of the economy that just get wrecked, and there's no question that that that's going to happen because it's just you can't survive on. Eight, 10% interest rates and an inverted yield curve in perpetuity. I mean, it, it, most of the commercial real estate, one of the things why you've seen delays is they've been able, you can buy derivatives or interest rate swaps or interest rate caps that can shield you from the changes in interest rates. And those, that's great, but they have a, a duration. And so you see there's huge companies, tens of billions of dollars size companies that have interest rate caps that are going to expire in the next 24 months. And when that happens, or even, or even sooner, when that happens, they're going to have immediate losses, just giant losses. And so that's, and those companies will suffer at the same time, there'll be AI. And, and so it, it's, mm-hmm. it's not going to be like a singular event across all of the country and all of the sectors of the, of the, of the um, economy. Yeah, that's interesting. We've had other people 
uh, also bring up the suggestion. It's almost like a rolling recession, you know? So two questions related to that, because that to me sounds less worse than a, a the kind of, you know, cataclysmic great recession near depression that wipes out everything in the economy that we kind of went through the, in the great financial crisis. So two things, if we are going to get though pain to come and it sounds like you're saying we're there's a lot of complacency about that right now. You know, we're not taking into effect that lag. Do the do, do is the central bank able to be more reactive now post the great financial crisis? You know, as opposed to looking to the 60s, 70s, 80s, where we had these lags, they have more tools now, right? Can they inject liquidity in and respond in a way that means that we're not going to see? the kind of economic collateral damage come? Can they be more strategic? I mean, yes, but most of the um, reason we came out of the 2020 pandemic downturn so rapidly was because of the fiscal stimulus, because of the the federal government dumped trillions of dollars into the economy and and they put some of it through the Fed by backstopping loans, PPP and things like that. Monetary stimulus, monetary con- policy is much more indirect. And as you saw it in 2010, 2020, we had zero interest rates. We they, they had eight, seven, eight trillion dollars of quantitative easing, and it really didn't make its way into the real economy. It mostly when it made its way into financial assets. Mm. And so it, it's 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 not a great policy if you're trying to, in the short term, deal with unemployment. But it's here. I've actually there's a slide. If you go look at um slide uh remember this slide 13 what happens in every downturn is before you go into the downturn like things are great like 2007 unemployment's 4.7 percent 2000 unemployment's 3.9 percent i mean there's this is not new i mean gdp is growing like before the downturn things look great and you can go find articles that will say this is the longest boom in history every everything's going so well and then when it hits it it reverses so rapidly and so the average increase in unemployment is 3.3% and so that would mean we'd go from 3.7% unemployment to 7 and it happens in on average in 15 months so like in a year we go from low unemployment to high unemployment that's typical of a of a of a downturn and and so like you, the the essence of the argument now has to be this time is different mm. right this time is different and i that's a terrible argument yeah beware beware of that argument i think we uh, we at least have learned that although it never is exactly the same either and this is where we get caught in that you know in in the trouble in terms of timing it and trying to see around the corner. I want to pull up and and sort of end with one more of your slides. Um, and that's your forecast for 2024. So it sounds like you think that there's pretty big trouble ahead for the stock market. I mean, that's this scared me. Por- this bottom line, yeah. we're gonna throw yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was okay. like, oh no, when I glanced at them right before I came on air. I mean, that's you know. Yeah. Um, so that's is, a that's a pretty big decline. Yeah, all, all this is, right, is you take the last nine recessions and you average the lag and the downturn. It's just an average of the of the historical changes, right? So um 
doesn't mean it's going to be this bad. All I just is, is that because in 2008 it was worse, right? So I don't think it doesn't seem like it should be as bad as 2008, but the average lag is 10 months from peak interest rates. So the Fed is saying peak interest rates is December 2023. So that means you wouldn't see a recession until end of 2024, and then 2025 would be a recessionary year, which is the first year of the presidential um, uh, cycle. And that's typical. First year of presidential cycle is typically a downturn. And the average loss is 43%. Hmm. So maybe it's not 43%. Maybe it's 25%. I mean, you're just taking averages, and averages are can, you know, can be deceiving. But that's so significant that when I look in the short term, I just say, well, don't let the short term distract us from making long term good, you know, more prudent, wiser decisions. Yeah. And no one, no one who's counting on that for retirement wants to see a drawdown that's anywhere near any of the numbers you just mentioned. So, you know, it, it is really serious. Couple of questions. By the way, we're talking about infrastructure. Hopefully none of you can hear it, but there are so many diggers outside my house right now that it's literally shaking my house. <laughs> I'm sitting here vibrating um, from it. So, I mean, it is it is like shovel ready in action. We've talked about it earlier, just in case I hit a cable and I disappear again, though. I'm warning everybody. Two questions related specifically to, to your fund, and I'll stretch it a minute to get this in. Paul asking, what adjustments does your company need to make or are you making to prepare for the recession? Yeah, I mean, I've been, <laughs> I've been pretty consistent for a while. So, uh, we've been, we've been, uh, I described ourselves as like the, you know, the ants who, who store away for the winter while the grasshoppers out, you know, uh, singing and, and playing so that I've been, this has been like, and you know, this is my view. I could be wrong. We'll find out. Um, but this is like, uh, I gave, you know, I gave up a lot of the upside to try to be more, to build up liquidity, have more cash, own things that I think are a little more stable. Um, the, the, the investment, if you think about the investment, if, if I'm right, then you want to be in credit because if interest rates, if there's a recession, you'll be more protected because it's basically debt, not equity. And that means they'll appreciate because interest, if interest rates come down, that credit will be more valuable. So I, I, the other thing we do, we're in a lot of credit. We have a credit fund. And so I think credit and cash and maybe AI, depending on your risk profile. That's those are the things that make sense to me, considering the forecast that I have. And then uh, Christopher asking, if real estate gets really distressed, how does Fundrise benefit? Does the company have a way to bring in money quickly to play the Sam Vulture game? Yeah, that's the exciting thing because um, if you go back to 1981, 82, where you had high interest rates and 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 inflation and they finally got it under control because I think we're going to get it under control. It's just a question of what's the consequence of that. Real estate came tearing out of that. I mean, it's just, just booming. So that there's like a really exciting opportunity to buy. Uh, not yet. I think, I think my, my view would be late 2024, 2025. And that buy is like, again, like it's a generational buy or maybe once every 15 years you can really buy. So that's, you know, but it's not yet. <laughs> so <laughs> I would be in cash. We're, we're in cash, credit, and AI in the meantime. Yeah. 
Great stuff. Um, always, always really good to make that distinction and get a chance to talk about what people are seeing in the real economy versus the financial economy. It is the distinction we've talked about before, but we can end up focusing just because of you know the charts and the and the headlines, and especially given what's been going on in the market and in stocks like Nvidia. And you know, it's really important to plug back in and get feedback on the real economy. So we really appreciate that, Ben. Great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend to all of you. I have to tell you all, programming note, uh, that we are going to, Raul's doing an AMA next, this Monday, 3 p.m. I want to make sure I get that right. This Monday, 3 p.m., it's a plus member, Ask Me Anything, and it's going to be on the Business Cycle courses. Um, there Two of them have released on the plus level. So, um, check them out. And then Raul is going to do an AMA based on that. Um, I was there when they did that. Uh, it was amazing. So make sure you uh, tune in for that. And then of course, we'll have the daily briefing after that. So hope to see you at both. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.